This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, across the way is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, Monday Night Football, some drama going on right now. Another week of college football in the books. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty well. Honestly, I think we touched on it a little bit last week, but again, just another really crazy week for the NFL. I mean, Tom Brady, who saw, you know, Carolina shipping McCaffrey off to the 49ers, which I I don't know how to feel about that one. We'll get into that. But um, Tom Brady getting walloped, you know, by a CMC-less Carolina Panthers team. And it is just one of the most compelling, you know, years in NFL football that I've I've really seen just from teams doing well that we didn't expect parity all the way across the league. I mean, half the league's got to be within a game of 500. It's, it's pretty crazy. So it actually makes for a really interesting and enjoyable season. Um, Cause it's, it, there's just, you can't really predict what's going on next. And so every weekend is, is something exciting. Yeah. I can't remember a time that the NFL was so like, completely random like the you know before the year started who would have thought you know my giants here six and one jets you know five and two like brady you know in the box and aaron Rodgers and the Packers struggling like they are like you know trades of like you know superstar players you know like christian mccaffrey you know are you know one of your guys who i feel you've talked a lot about james robinson just being traded today to the jets major injuries, like a lot to talk about. And it was kind of a pretty ho-hum college football week and not a lot of major news, not a lot of major performances. I don't think a lot of stock up, stock down. So we're going to go through a little quicker today, the NFL, uh, the college side of this in terms of the NFL draft stuff and the Debbie slant stuff. So we could spend a little bit more time uh, talking the NFL side of it because we, you know, we got big injuries on the rookie front with Bryce, uh, Bryce Hall we got trades to break down. So, you know, let's jump right into it and start on the the college football side of it with the NFL draft stock report for week eight. And I want to start with DJ Ulangale. Three turnovers this week, benched in that Clemson game. You know, Clemson found their way back and won that game. But now the question arises, you know, we had talked about Ulangale a little bit in terms of, You know, had he turned the corner a little bit? Like, is he one of those guys that, you know, was going to maybe emerge where there's been some up and down this year? And now a free turnover performance, getting benched. Now it opens up the door again where, you know, Longale, not really sure he's riding that momentum. And, And then if he loses the job, you know, are we talking about a situation where, you know, he transfers after the year? You know, like, are we talking about that, right? Because correct me if I'm wrong, I think he has one year of eligibility left. So it could be one of those things where he's looking for a fresh start if Clemson's looking to move on, you know, because it's just been so up and down where once upon a time we thought this guy was ticketed for top five, top 10. And, it, you know, last year, you know, really went off the rails. And now this year it's been some good moments and then some down moments, very up and down, very inconsistent, you know, and if Clemson, you know, is pulling you, you know, listen, 
Bryce Young could have four or five turnovers. I don't think he's getting, you know what I mean? He's not getting pulled from an Alabama game that's still within reach. Like, and I understand that Bryce Young has done more and is, is better regarded than a guy like TJ Wilangale, but I do think it speaks volumes when the coach is like, well, we just weren't going to let him have an opportunity to have a four turnover. Like, that doesn't sound like a guy that, that you're, that you're, you're sold on as being the guy. So I, I think it's, I think it really makes for an interesting storyline because we know he's got the skill set. We know he's got the raw tools. And we thought he could be a guy that maybe could increase his draft stock, especially as Clemson played some big games down the stretch here. And, and now it might be going the other way that this performance may have, you know, may have him losing his job if that's where they go. I hadn't seen anything since about anything definitive about what Clemson's plans were. But Jeff, any thoughts on Ulongale to kind of get started here on the quarterback discussion? Well, yeah, and when we did his deep dive on maybe his five touchdown game or whatever it was this earlier this year, and everybody got a little excited really quick, and they said, "Oh, maybe this is him turning a corner." And you know, again, it was sort of the same style and level of play that we'd seen. It just, you know, it's been inconsistent at times, and when it hits, it hits, and when it misses, it misses. And you know, it's it's kind of a hard thing for, um, you know, I don't even know if we're going to sit here and, you know, go through a, a pre-draft cycle and be, oh my gosh, you know, DJ's got, you know, the traits that we want to see, right? Like, you know, we're not, we're not talking about a guy who's like Anthony Richardson, who, you know, teams are going to, you know, maybe give a little bit more patience to and growth and try to mold them into somebody that they, they really want to see. Um, You know, Klubnik came in and, and he's sort of their, highly recruited freshman. And so, you know, not that he necessarily, you know, lit the world on fire or anything um, uh, on his own, but, uh, you know, leading Clemson back, I mean, we'll, we'll get into him in the Debbie slant, but, you know, pretty much on the back of Will Shipley, but still like not making mistakes and letting Clemson come back and win that game. You, you wonder if, if this is, you know, maybe just, it, it's hard if they have, um, playoff college football playoff aspirations, you know, to, to really turn to, you know, a true freshman who might not be ready. But I mean, if, if he's playing better than DJ and they're, you know, still ranked and they've got a shot to do it, then, then yeah, maybe that's what happens. Um, it's kind of, I, I have to look back. They did Spencer Rattler have a, a couple good game stretch last year or two where people, you know, said, oh, okay, he's, he, you know, he just had to shake some jitters off and now he's good. And then, you know, kind of went back into, you know, again, making those same mistakes and, you know, and, and maybe that's the track that, that DJ's going. I mean, he's, this is his, his third true year, I think, um, at least as far as production goes. So he, he certainly does have eligibility left and, you know, maybe he goes, goes out somewhere and, you know, finds a landing spot where, you know, maybe the coach can start highlighting a little bit more of, of some of his strengths, um, you know, in more spread out system. So we'll see where, we'll see where that one goes. Yeah. I mean, Olangale is going to be an interesting case study. And I do think it depends on, you know, how the rest of this year plays out of whether or not he transfers, whether or not he declares, like my guess would be, he doesn't declare that, you know, like he's just not regarded high enough. I think right now in terms of the evaluation process that I think there'd be a better chance of him transferring somewhere if it wasn't, you know, if he thought he might was losing his job at Clemson and then kind of find, you know, a place that maybe 
he could kind of elevate his stock a little bit more, not really looking over his shoulder. Like Clemson, it's, you know, championship or bust. So, you know, a lot of pressure there, you know, when those are the expectations. So it doesn't look like he's going to ever live up to maybe the hype that we thought when he when he kind of came in that year and filled in for Trevor Lawrence in, in spot, spot, you know, different spots. And we're like, wow, this is the next one. Like, you know, they're going to have another guy who's the first pick in the draft. We see glimpses of, of his skill set, but it, we haven't seen the consistency. You know, and now we're going on two years. So you do have to wonder if he will be able to ever, you know, put it together. You know, like maybe the glimpses we saw at, at times were. If we talk about some other quarterbacks this past weekend, you know, sticking with guys who there were high expectations. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke left the game against Duke. 11 of 16, 81 yards and, and a touchdown. He left the game with an injury. He's had a very up and down year, you know, not all that different than Ulangale in terms of, you know, expectations, but battling inconsistency. You know, Van Dyke is another one that he was only a redshirt sophomore. So we know he had, you know, plenty of eligibility, but if he had a really big year, there were plenty of people who were mocking him top 10, top 15, top first round. I think that ship is probably sailed at this point right now that, you know, I think he'll definitely be back in college football next year, trying to re-elevate his draft stock after an up and down, you know, season this year for him. And now left the game due to an injury. Another game was benched. Like, you know, we, that's not what you're looking for when you're looking to have a, you know, final collegiate season that elevates you in, into the round one mix or the top 10 or top 20 mix. Uh, so that was Van Dyke, C.J. Stroud against a really good Iowa defense. Not a very good Iowa team, but a, a really good Iowa defense. You know, 20 of 30, 286 yards and four touchdowns. Ohio State took care of business. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, a guy who some people thought was around three, round four, kind of fringe, you know, day two, early day three quarterback before the season started uh, out of Purdue, 31 of 46, 320 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. I kind of feel like him and Devin Leary have kind of taken a little step back this year of two guys that I thought personally maybe could elevate themselves this year to be solidify themselves as day two guys. I think now, you know, where they're at, it's more, they have kind of drifted further back and they're more of the day pre caliber guys. Uh, Jaden Daniels out of LSU, 248 yards passing with two touchdowns and then 121 rushing yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Jaden Daniels is interesting. We know what he can, we know what he, we know the areas that he struggles in. But we also do see an NFL that is a very different NFL now than what it used to be. So I do sometimes wonder if Jane Daniels' athleticism could create an opportunity for him at the next level. Like we're about to see Sam Ellinger make starts at, at the NFL level. And Sam Ellinger, you know, has never been a guy that's been great at the quarterbacking skills. But he's 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 big, he's tough, he's physical, he's got some athleticism, he's got some rushing ability. It it kind of opens the door to do some other things, the RPO game, you know, maybe jump starts, you know, Jonathan Taylor a little bit. So I, I do look at a guy like Jane Daniels and wonder if the NFL looks at him as a guy that they'll be intrigued with due to athleticism, especially, you know, if there's an athletic quarterback, like right, you know, like Baltimore is looking for somebody else to back up, you know, or be a third string to Lamar or, or Kyler Murray. Like you look at Jane Daniels' skill set and while it's not at that level of those guys, especially in terms of his passing acumen, for sure, he does offer that athleticism that could be of intrigue to an NFL team. Jaron uh, Hall really struggled this week, and he's a guy we had talked about as a guy who was rising up, 
and BYU just got smoked by Liberty. I think it was like 41 to 14. Uh, he had 187 yards and two touchdowns, but you know, it, stunningly to see BYU struggle in that game like they did and Hall not put up a monster performance there. Uh, Jeff, any, any other thoughts yeah. about any of the other quarterbacks I brought up or, or anything else? I didn't think there was a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple other guys of, of note. Anything you want to elaborate on? Yeah, I think with Hall, one of the things that we're going to have to look is is it's it's going to have to be one of the deep dive dissecting and looking at tools and, and seeing how that goes. Um, you know, I don't know that we're just going to see anything completely um, go bonkers on the on the box score. We're not going to kind of see a Zach Wilson style uh, elevation, I don't think. Um, you know, but I'll have to just kind of give Jaden Daniels a little bit of credit for, uh, you know, feeding me a little bit of crow there. I mean, you know, I had kind of ragged on him at the start of the year and, you know, you know, said, you know, Kayshawn Booty has has a Jaden Daniels problem and and that LSU program. Hey, you know, they they really came out flat at the beginning of the year, but that's a big win over Mississippi, right? Like that's not what you expected, you know, three weeks into this college football season. And, you know, it's it's that game took these teams in completely opposite directions. And and so that's pretty phenomenal, I think, for for him. I, I still don't know that that's enough to really move me off of my, you know, and albeit not deep dive, but, um, you know, early impressions of, of where I'd see him fit in. But again, you know, we've seen maybe that maybe there's a different recipe in the NFL now. You know, we, we saw it with kind of Lamar. We saw it with, um, you know, we saw it with Jalen Hurts a little bit, like, you know, if you have a good environment, if you have the right team around you, the right coaching staff, that's, you know, not the, you know, anti what Justin Fields has experienced, um, you know, a little bit like what Arthur Smith is doing in Atlanta, actually, you know, not, you know, not asking your quarterback to do what they're not good at and letting them develop into that. Maybe that's, maybe that's a situation where Daniels can, come in with, you know, the, you know, athletic upside. Um, but, but it, you know, it's, you're asking him to develop as a quarterback at the NFL level, which is an extremely hard ask. Um, but, but Hey, I mean, it's, it, we have, we have seen that now, right? Like we have seen that happen. There's a path for that. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that's where, the league is different now, right? Than it was like like t- five, six, seven, ten years ago. Jane Daniels would there'd be so much talk about positional switch, and you know he's gonna be, you know he's gonna do this. Maybe it could be a wide receiver. Maybe it could be an offensive weapon. But I just think now the NFL we're seeing what really good schemes and coaching is doing, and I think it opens up the door for for different style quarterbacks to at least be third string or practice squad guys, right? And, and I think that opens the door for a guy like Jaden Daniels. Like, you know, we could talk about guys like Aiden O'Connell and Devin Leary, and, and yeah, they're better quarterbacks, but they also don't have anything about them that kind of really stands out, that you know, that makes him of intrigue for NFL team to want to have as a developmental third string or practice squad. But a guy who's got a, a trait that stands out and for 
a guy like Jane Daniels, it's as it's it's his athleticism and he can throw the ball vertically. You know, ball placement and accuracy is an issue, but it's not like he doesn't have the velocity to make throws and the arm strength to push the ball deep down the field. Uh there's the, the there's, there's things that stand out about him. And I think when teams are drafting quarterbacks and drafting traits, you know, late in the draft or as priority free agents, they're looking for guys that have some unique traits that that kind of a little bit of a you know baseline to work with in terms of something that that kind of stands out. So we'll see what you know about that for Jaden Daniels uh, for sure. We've kind of turned this to offensive skill players. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, 151 yards and a touchdown versus Oregon. Uh, that was a pretty impressive performance. Also showing functionality as a pass catcher, four catches for 28 yards. B. John Robinson, 140 yards rushing a touchdown, one catch for 41 yards and a touchdown. You know, showing that big playability, not only the run game, but also the pass game. Uh, Jameer Gibbs only had 10 carries for 37 yards and a touchdown, uh, four catches for 33 yards. But I continue to watch him, and I think there's even more explosiveness and burst and acceleration than I maybe even gave him credit for. Uh, I continue to think that he has kind of now separated himself to be the clear RB2, I think, right now. Uh, Devin A-Chain continues to handle a tremendous workload, 27 touches this past week, uh, over 150 total yards. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts at the running back position on either Charbonnet, Bijan, Gibbs, A-Chain? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of what we expect here with these guys. But, you know, Vaughn, again, is one of my favorite players to watch. Um, you know, and I've I've gotten into the – you know, little podcasts or film rooms with, with people out there on the Debbie side. And, um, you know, and they, they talk about, you know, guys who can run in a phone booth and best inside runners. And I'm like, yeah, you, you guys have to watch this like tiny, you know, mighty might out there. But, um, but one of, in, in doing that, um, I actually got a chance to revisit and really do a dissection of, of where B. John Robinson's game is at right now. And, there's a lot of growth. Like there, there's a lot of growth in Bijan Robinson's game, both both from like patience, his knowledge of when to take yards, um, even just you know how I mentioned his you know a little bit uh, dramatic and emphatic movements that you know may have been you know might may have had him you know losing opportunities to hit a bigger play because he's uh you know jump stopping or over overshooting a gap or over you know over um you know stopping his momentum a little bit to make too drastic of a change of direction when he can just cut up field well we're seeing that like he's he's putting that in his toolbox now he's understanding when he can plant a foot and redirect his momentum better and and that's great like that's phenomenal that's that's the growth that we want to see for Bijan to be a dynamic NFL running back. And, um, and, and yeah, so that's all I've, that I put my little caution flags up at the beginning of the year. Cause I wanted to see this type of growth and, and that's exactly, this is exactly what I wanted to see. Um, so I'm really impressed there. You know um, I really love that he's continuing to round out his game. You know, one of the conversations that we've had over the last week was players who can win because they are just that, that dominant athlete that no one else on the field is don't often get to refine their games because they don't have to, right? Like if they can out athlete a player or, or an entire field of players, you know, 
they don't need to develop the same level of nuance as a guy like Mo Ibrahim or James Robinson, right? Who, you know, they're working with less in the, you know, in the genetics department, you know, and so, you know, they make, they get every ounce of their potential based on guile, savvy, just knowledge of how to manipulate, you know, defenders. Like you don't need to be the biggest, fastest, strongest. If you're smarter, if you're, if you have more technique, if you have, you know, an ability and an understanding of, of, you know, action and reaction. Um, but if you are a Supreme athlete and you do start working that element to your game, like look out, I mean, you become a superstar and, and that's exactly where, I, I mean, I don't think he's at a level of a runner that Jamar Gibbs is. I don't know that he's at, you know, that level of understanding that some of these other players are, but he's, he is getting more nuanced to his game. He's learning that he's getting better at it. And he is the extreme superior athlete. And, and that just spells, um, it, it, it gets me really excited to see what he's going to bring to an NFL field. Yeah. And the other thing I think that does get me a little excited about running back, these running backs is, you know, the impact that Brees Hall was making for the Jets and the impact that Kent Walker is making for Seattle like it shows you that yes, I understand it's always going to be deemed a devalued position in in the grand scheme of things, but they could have significant impact like on their team, and we're seeing that right. Like Seattle looks even better now, you know. Unfortunately, Rashad Penny got injured, and you know we don't wish that upon anybody. But Kenneth Walker sees the opportunity very quickly, and he's just been amazing in his opportunity already. And Brees Hall literally every week was getting better and better and season more of that backfield. I mean, even before, you know, he got hurt this past weekend making plays and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. We'll get into that a little bit more. So like when we talk about guys like B John and Jameer Gibbs and, you know, even I even think a guy like a chain, what he could bring to the table in terms of his explosiveness, you know, it, they do change the narrative of, of an offense. Some of these top level running backs that do have these special traits, whether, it's speed or athleticism or vision or patience. And I do think we have some of them. I think it's going to be the most intriguing of this offensive skill positions is going to fall with the running backs. I think that's going to be, because I think this is this shaping up as a very ho-hum wide receiver class with a lot of question marks compared to what we usually see at the wide receiver class. Uh, but I do think it'll be carried a little bit by the running backs. If we take this over to the receivers, a couple that I want to bring up tonight uh, Charlie Jones out of Purdue, 10 catches, 105 yards. This is a guy who's probably going to be like a four, five, five, four, six guy, but he knows how to get open, good separation, quickness. You know, another guy who I think is going to best profile to be probably a slot, maybe he could play outside at the Z spot, the flanker spot, but I think he's probably best inside, which we know this draft class is going to have different types of slot receivers that are going to be productive. It's do we have any of those true outside guys? That's still up for debate, I think, in terms of how high they might go. Rakeem Jarrett, I feel like it's kind of got Maryland's offense has kind of been eh this year, but I do feel like Rakeem Jarrett's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. He's not been elite this year, but he also has just been pretty solid. Eight catches, 82 yards, and a touchdown. I don't think much has changed for him in terms of what I thought about him before the season started. I think he's a day two talent. I think he's another guy who's best inside as a vertical slot. But, you know, he has a skill set that I think you could probably play outside a little bit as well. I think he's a little bit of a forgotten guy that just hasn't gotten a lot of attention this year. 
but he hasn't like really disappointed, nor has he like stood out tremendously. But I do think he's a guy that'll still be ranked pretty high, you know, in most people's, you know, wide receiver ranks. Zay Flowers continues to put up a monster year, 10 catches, 135 yards and a touchdown. This is a guy who's definitely found his groove this year, went back to college, and I think it's going to end up being the right decision because it sounds like he would have been clearly a day three pick last year. Now with him showing that explosiveness again, the ability to win vertically, and then just an overall down year, I think Zay Flowers may have put himself back in the, you know, somewhere in late day two mix. And that's a big significant jump up from maybe where he was considered before the season started. Quinton Johnson, four catches, 74 yards and a touchdown. Uh, we're starting to see him at least make a difference now in, in the game. It's not a gaudy performance, but another touchdown, big plays. The, the, uh, the, the room is still there for Johnson to really emerge. I kind of feel like. Jermaine Burden now has not done much of anything the whole year. At least we're seeing bits and pieces now of Quinton Johnson that made him that guy who was in most people's top fives before the season started. I could still see him going very high in the NFL draft. If Burden was to come out, I have a hard time unless something dramatic changes between now and the end of this college football season. I don't think there's any way Burden could be looked at as a first-round wide receiver right now. I still think Johnston could be. So, Jeff, any thoughts there on the wide receivers to kind of close out the NFL draft stock report for this week? Charlie Jones is just, I mean, he's been putting it out there week after week after week and, uh, you know, really just deserves a little bit more love um, for what he's doing and, and just the stats he's putting up and, you know, honestly deserves a little bit love from from me too as, you know, I still have yet to actually go in and do a game or two uh you know of his you know chart a game or two watch watch kind of snap you know a full set of snaps for him so you know it just it's one of those ones where he's going to be going under the radar because he wasn't one of those names coming in but as we have absences from players at the you know high expectation level the you know the Kayshawn Booties, the the Jermaine Burton's you know, we have people filling in the gaps. They're just not, we're not just, we're just not talking about him yet. Right. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson, another one of those, I think we got into him last week. So um, yeah, I don't know how at this point, you know, Quentin Johnston, there's Addison and, um, and I guess, I guess because I, I just, I, I feel if Addison's role in the NFL is in the slot um, and he's not, Cooper Cup, right? Like, you know, if, you, if you're at Cooper Cup, I'm like, okay, fine. Be the first wide receiver taken off the board. You're phenomenal. But like, to an NFL team, you know, I I, I don't know how you, how you kind of don't have Quentin Johnston on at the top of your board at this point of the season. Because I, I, the other argument, I guess, is Booty, but I don't think, you know, I don't think we've seen enough there for him, from him. So, um, you know, so in my mind, I, I, you know, I think... Um, yeah, he's, I, I was excited about Johnston. I was really disappointed when he just failed to be part of the offense for a whole month. Um, and I'm really happy that he's coming out and actually, you know, TCU's 7-0 and now, first in the Big 12. Like, they're going to be playing very meaningful games down the road, um, especially if they can close out a division, uh, you know, a division championship um, and, and make a case for the playoffs. So um, that puts them on the big stage and, um, at, at squarely puts Johnson in, in sort of the eyes of, 
mainstream ESPN. Um, and, and that's, that's a great way for him to just catapult, not just his, his standing as maybe relative to the other wide receivers, but potentially in a class where I don't know that any receiver is going to go in the top 15, you know, that's sort of the recipe in my mind, um, LSU or TCU, you know, going on a tear to end the season, you know, with these, with Booty, with Johnston in, you know, marquee matchups, marquee highlights, you know, hidden sports center and, uh, you know, willing their teams to victories as they chase the college football playoff and college football title. That, that'd be the, the recipe in my mind. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, Jackson Smith and the Jigman came back and was on a very limited pitch count this past week. So, you know, we'll see what you know where he kind of ends out this year and how high he can push. And then we're talking about guys like Jordan Addison and, and you know and, and and Josh Downs. Listen, I think there's there's a spot for those guys to go somewhere in the middle of the first round to early portion of the second round, right? We saw Jahan Dotson push his way all the way to the to the teens, right? I think Jordan Addison or Josh Downs could could elevate themselves to similar to where Jahan Dotson went. We saw Wandell Robinson go, you know, in the early forties. So I think those guys that we know what they are in terms of their sl- like the vertical slot type players and those electric playmakers, they could go middle of first round to like early portion of ra- early to mid portion of round two. I think the, the the range is a little wide for them right there. And I, I think those guys will be there. And I think Smith and the Jig will be somewhere in that 15 to 25 range, but you're right. Like, do we have anybody? Is it Quinton Johnson? Is it Kayshawn? You know, is, is there somebody else that's we're not really acknowledging as a legitimate chance to be, a, you know, top 20, 30, top 50 pick at the wide receiver position that profiles a little bit differently than these slot type guys? It's going to be interesting to kind of follow suit with that. So let's transition over to the Debbie slant for this for this past week. A couple guys that stood out. I was watching a lot of that Clemson game. And, you know, Will Shipley, every time I watch him, like, He's the focal point of that Clemson offense. Other teams know it, and he just continues to produce. I do start to wonder if, you know, we, we've kind of just like kind of penciled Travion Henderson as like the top, you know, like underclassman running back. And I'm starting to wonder if like, you know, Braylon Allen also 113 yards. I'm starting to wonder if it's more like Henderson, Shipley, Allen, kind of like, you know, these guys who will be draft eligible next year, you know, should really, you know, be a little bit more closer together in terms of discussion points because, you know, Henderson's been good, but he hasn't been like electric this year. Shipley has like on a bad off, like Clemson doesn't have a great offense. Shipley's been the focal point. Like he's very much, you know, you watch Shipley and it's like what once upon a time Christian McCaffrey brought to the Stanford offense in certain ways, Shipley is bringing that to the Clemson offense right now. That Stanford offense wasn't a very great, wasn't a very prolific offense. They didn't have big time receivers. They didn't have a big time quarterback play, you know, but McCaffrey was kind of the engine of that offense. And we're kind of seeing Will Shipley the same way. We already talked about DJ and his issues, you know, Shipley's kind of the focal point of that offense. And, you know, they go as he goes. And if he has a, you know, if he's not carrying that offense, it's hard for them to have a really good offensive day. Uh, Breland Allen, and then we'd be remiss if we didn't again talk about Quinshawn Judkins. Every time he gets an opportunity to be the guy, 25 carries, 111 yards, and two touchdowns. I don't think, he, I think he's got to start being talked about as, as a top Debbie, you know, asset as well at the running back position. So those are a couple of running backs on the wide receiver side. The Ohio State guys continue to 
represent, you know, Marvin Harris, 762 and one, uh, Abuka, 680 and one, Xavier Worthy at Texas, 478 and one, and Evan Stewart, who we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks from Texas A&M, six for 87. I mean, I think we're, we're looking, we're talking about four receivers here that are squarely going to be in the top five, top eight, top 10 in terms of Debbie wide receivers. Uh, you know, they continue to perform when we're seeing so many draft eligible receivers not live up to the billing. I do think it is noteworthy when these underclassmen continue to live up to the, the lofty expectations that, you know, we in the Devi community have put on them and, and their, you know, and their teams are, are expecting them to be, you know, a lot of media production. These guys are living up to it. And I think that speaks volumes on how, you know, high level of a talent some of these receivers are for sure. Do you have any thoughts on any of the underclassmen, whether it's the guys I brought up, somebody else maybe you want to hit upon, uh, anything to kind of close out the Debbie slant? You've summed it up well. Um, I'm going to add one name, though. You, you mentioned the Henderson and um, Allen and, and sort of Shipley bundle. And I'm just going to add Raheem Sanders, who, you know, has been more athlete than running back, has been working on refining his game this year and and has an entire other year to do that out of Arkansas. I just, you know, his production is off the charts. Um, and, and that's that's a name that, you know, by the end of the year, or by the time we start going into next year, and certainly by the time we're a month into next year, he, he's certainly going to be making, um, stating the case for, for being one of the top running backs in consideration. Yeah, and and I think, you know, that's another great one to add to the mix. And I think, you know. Just off last you, week. That's yeah. why we haven't seen it, you know. Yeah, and and when and you do, you do, the, the fun part about the Debbie slant is like you start to see these guys and it's like the same guys, right? Every week are just living up. And these, all these guys we're talking about, these are going to be the guys that make up next year's like, you know, summer shows, right? When we're setting the stage you know, for next year and we're doing the rankings and, and well, you know, and I'm creating the scouting notebook next summer, like all of these guys from the Debbie slant are going to be the guys that, you know, really profile as the top guys heading into next college football season. But as we know, things are very fluid, right? It's, it's a things, things change very quickly in the college landscape, right? We have seen it the last two years with the quarterback positions, We've seen it at times with with receivers, and I think we're seeing it this year with receivers, right? What the pre-draft ranking, what the preseason rankings looked at looked like for draft eligible wide receivers, top tens, top fives, maybe not top fives, but top tens, top fifteens. I think it's going to look very, very different when we get to people's top ten, top fifteen wide receivers for the actual twenty twenty three NFL draft. And there's going to be a lot of movement up and down. Guys who are in top fives might not even crack people's top tens or top fifteens. I think it's it's been a little bit of a unique year at that wide receiver position. So it'll be fun to follow this and and following them from their underclassmen days. I, I think shows the growth and development that we talk about so much here at Saturday to Sunday. If we keep this going, let's take this to the NFL rookie report for this past week. We got to start with the Brees Hall injury. We alluded to it already before. Uh, torn ACL, uh, also a partial meniscus tear, I believe. So his season is done. Hopefully, you know, he's one of the guys who's the the, the feel-good stories that, that come back and are as good as ever. But, I mean, we just went through this with Javante Williams, right, in, in terms of, like, kind of trying to 
you know, related to fantasy and dynasty and like Javante Williams. Like I moved all the way down to like the double digits. I moved Brees Hall over the last couple of weeks all the way up to fourth. And I was like, yeah, and Kent Walker was going to be going to be there pretty soon, too. And then now it's like, now how do we assess this, right? Because we just never know. Like J.K. Dobbins has not been able to get back to his old self. You know, now he's out for another four to six weeks after re-injuring his knee. So, yeah, you'd like to think he comes back and he's who he is. But, you know, we also see – we also saw Saquon, right, take two years to really get back to the player that, you know, the explosiveness. So you just never know with these guys. Obviously, he's got he's got youth on his side. It happened semi-early in this season. So hopefully by the time, you know, opening day of next year rolls around, he's back. But then also hopefully the explosiveness is back. So that's unfortunate. Uh, his running mate there in terms of the running back class, Kent Walker, 168 yards and two touchdowns. I'm excited for this week. Seahawks play the Giants. So I will get the ch- a chance to watch every snap, every play of Kent Walker. So, you know, that'll be a fun one for me to watch him and, and kind of relay what I see after watching every single snap in real time next week uh, when Seattle plays the Giants. But I mean, everything that we loved about him since we did the deep dive last year is, is rounding into form very quickly at the NFL level. There's a reason why Jeff, there's a reason why me and other people said Kent Walker was the best pure runner in last year's draft class. That didn't necessarily mean we had him at number one. Brees Hall had more versatility to his game, maybe a little bit more explosiveness, but Kenneth Walker was the best pure runner, and we're seeing it translate instantly at the NFL level, and it is fun to watch him play football, breaking tackles, getting to the outside, uh, ex- explosiveness, burst, acceleration. You're seeing the total package there. Uh, so stock, stock way up on Kenneth Walker. Unfortunately, due to the injury down on Brees Hall, Damian Pierce continues heavy, heavy workload, 24 carries, uh, over 120 total yards this past week, continuing to be that bell cow. And Isaiah Pacheco was named the starter early on Sunday, still only saw eight carries, got 43 yards out of it. It's going to be interesting to kind of follow Pacheco the rest of this year and what opportunity Kansas City gives him. Do they give him an opportunity to like seize that backfield in maybe like a 60-40 way? in terms of like running carries, I don't know. Like, you know, obviously they've been disappointed in Clyde over Tulare, who's just never lived up to the first round billing. Uh, they like Pacheco, you know, but they said he was going to be the starter. He did technically start the game, but they basically split carries down the middle. Jeff, any thoughts on the hall injury, your boy, Kenneth Walker or, or Pierce or Pacheco? Yeah. A starter in, in quotes, I, I would have loved it if uh, Adam Schefter's report or something correctly marked starter in quotes. <laughs> I, I don't know that, um, you know, I, I guess there is a chance that Pacheco has the ability to take on a dominant share of the backfield, but the likelihood of that happening in my mind, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think it's, it's gonna. I don't think we're gonna see something like Damian Pierce, you know, taking over. Nothing against Pacheco, but they've mixed and matched the backs really well there. I think they have a system that's working for them, and I think it's gonna keep going that way. Um, you know, certainly not in a way that I'd buy Pacheco, you know, for you know, in Dynasty, and you know, in the hopes that that's what I'm gonna see. I, I just, if you've got him, you, you you can hold and see if that that hits, but. You know, same thing with Damian Pierce, right? You know, he's got the load. He's, he's you know, 
got all of the opportunities. He, he looked, looks really great as a runner. Um, and yet, you know, I mean, we've seen Michael Carter look really good as a runner. We've seen James Robinson look really good as a runner. I it just, the, the days are numbered for day three draft picks. I could be wrong. We could, we could have a massive home run hit from, you know, from Pierce. Maybe he's productive through his entire rookie contract. I, I mean, that'd be phenomenal. I could be wrong, but you're betting on the outliers, right? Like you are putting, you you know, you're spinning the roulette wheel and you're betting double zero and you're saying this is the time it's going to hit. You know, it, it can happen. You can hit and you can win big, but it's it, it's not, you know, at this point, what people are, you know, what people think of Damian Pierce, um, especially because he's scoring a lot of points for their fantasy teams it, and he's young, he's rookie, right? Like I, it just... I think the hype's at a level where, you know, I feel really comfortable just pivoting off to, you know, say like a, a young wide receiver, right? Like we're, we're going to get on Chris Olave. I don't know if you could get that done, but I would do that in a heartbeat, right? Like Chris Olave for me is, you know, a top 10 dynasty wide receiver now, I think. I, I just, I don't think, you know, there's any other way to, to look at that. Um, you know, there was a point where we hadn't quite seen Kenneth Walker yet. Damian Pierce emerged and everyone, you know, everyone was ready to, to flip that around, you know, Oh, Damian Pierce, he looks good. He's breaking tackles and he's producing and Kenneth Walker is stuck behind Rashad Penny. I'd rather Damian Pierce. You could have done that trade and Kenneth Walker. I mean, yeah, look, Damian Pierce is running great. Kenneth Walker is on another level. Like I, I can't call him Nick Chubb, but but he can house it from anywhere on the field, you know. Yeah, and 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 here's the thing: I don't think it's inconceivable. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's not impossible that at some point, the the same way most people say at times Nick Chubb is the best pure runner in the NFL, there is there is a we're going to say possibility that. that we can say that about Kent Walker, and we, we can will probably, in a couple years. Yeah, exactly. It, it and will we, happen. And we could we could probably only pick five to eight guys that we feel confident that we might be able to say that might understanding that things happen that we might be able to the fact that we're even including Kenneth Walker in a list of the best pure runners that maybe at some point in the league he is that guy the same way we talk about Nick Chubb tells you how special of a player he is and we're already seeing glimpses of it same way we saw glimpses pretty quickly about Nick Chubb too that you know early in his career and it, it's kind of carried now through there, of, of being one of the best pure runners in the league there are things that Kenneth Walker can do on the field like again it's just watch even just watch the highlights right the way that he can just immediately just like in one step like in cadence completely transition from downhill to sideways like and then like back to downhill and it just it defenders look absolutely silly like it it looks like he's you know the most dominant athlete out there on the field it's not it's not the case i mean he's just extremely good i guess maybe it's like his flexibility or just you know his his ability to you know just you know, know how to position his body to get the most out of that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you can never predict an injury, right? Like he could be the best runner in the NFL and he can get his ACLs. And that's just a, that's a tough thing. And I, I'm just going to like, you know, I, I kind of use that as just a rough transition to go over to Brees Hall. But I think we said it last year with JK Dobbins, right? 
when he went down, you were losing in, in a position where you get maybe three, four years of production. You were losing half a season. Like if there's just no other way to look at that, right? Like, yes, I bet you Brees Hall, his stock's down now. No one's, it's really hard to to take a look at this. There's risk, there's injury risk. Again, like Saquon took a year to get back. Brees Hall will eventually be back in your top five dynasty running back somewhere, close to it at least. So he'll his value will rebound. But, you know, just on a whole, like you're losing 10%, you know, a little 10 to 20% of his value by losing half a season of production. Like that, that really sucks. <laughs> um, that said, you know, Hey, like maybe someone's, maybe someone was competing with Brees Hall and you got Damian Pierce and you can, you know, throw in another little piece there, you know, just say, Hey, look, just another rookie running back. Who's doing really well. Like you can still compete this year. I'm looking for the future. Why don't I give you this, you know, this other kind of competing piece you can use is this veterans kind of playing well, you know, let me like bolster your team up for the playoff run. I'll take on breeze for like the future. And that's a deal I'd get done 10 times out of 10. If you could do something like that, if you could maybe sell them. Um, yeah. You know, the other, the other A said to trade for is Chris Olave. So I just want to, I just want to jump over to Chris Olave. If, um, you know, seven catches 106 yards, Ah, man. And, and yeah, on the, you know, on the Island, on the, on the primetime slate, like I, honestly he, he had a bigger day too. And, you know, he was getting rocked back there, um, you know, and had a couple, couple tough drops with, I think Jalen Thompson or something, just like dropping the hammer from the safety position. So like, you know, a lot of nearly could have had nine catches for 140 plus yards. I, and he was, you know, yards away from a touchdown on there. I just, this guy's always open. He's got the trust of his quarterbacks. Like any quarterback can immediately step in and, and trust him. Right. Like we saw that from Jameis Winston to Andy Dalton, there was no blip in production. So I, I we said the saints gave up a lot to get Olave, but even then I think he's, he's on the level of young superstars like AJ Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown and honestly, I think, you know, we, he's not that far from CD, you know, he, uh, like he's on there with CD lamb, not that far from like the Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson's. Yeah. I mean, he's been unbelievable and, you know, I was a big fan of him. I, I said repeatedly that what was so intriguing about Chris Olave was that he could win at all three levels of the field. To me, his rat running was, was reminiscent of, Terry McLaurin, but he also had the vertical ability to win vertically deep, like a guy like Will Fuller when Will Fuller was at his best. And if you merge those two together, you had a guy that, you know, can win vertically, can win intermediate, you know, can make plays after the catch. Like we're seeing, you know, we're seeing all of that. And that really isn't even a lot of a specialty in terms of like, you know, yak ability, but we're seeing a guy that just gets open at different levels of the field, really good route runner, body control. We're seeing it all already. Yeah, and they gave up a lot. And right now, you know, they're they're penciled to give New Orleans, you know, Philadelphia top five or top ten picks. So yes, they need Chris Olave to be a star to, you know, to to that's going to be a little bit of a gut punch come draft night. But but Olave is going to make it a little bit easier to not look back and 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 really regret that because they eventually did get him out of that. 
And I think he is on the trajectory to be a star. Yeah, and they didn't we're, they we're didn't project that. that going in, right? I, I mean, it is it was a lot, and I think people realized other people from the outside realized how um, potentially shaky um, that roster was, and and how fragile. Yeah, um, they were that roster was right. Um, yeah, and and hey, look, the NFC like they still could like the NFC is wide open. Like, there's so much parity. Like, if they rolled a couple wins and they were back in the thick of it, like nobody would be surprised. Um, yeah, you know, and I I almost you know when we were talking and praising Drake London, who I mean, go by Drake London. He, I mean, he's had a down year, but or, or down last few few weeks. But you know, when Mariota's only throwing completing eight passes, throwing a dozen, like you're, no one's going to produce him nor him nor Pat Kyle, but you got to go, you know, put them on your squad if you can go find it. But, but that's who I said, you know, drop Drake London from one to two, as I said, you know, at, you know, by the time rookie drafts, you know, had come around and, you know, I was making those decisions like Chris Olave was the one that, you know, I was always, you know, trading back a little bit for just because that's the one I wanted, right? I didn't want to have to pick Drake London. I would have, I wanted to take a little bit of extra capital and, and, and get Chris Olave in a pick or two. And, um, I feel good that that, that's kind of worked out. You know, did, why don't we hit, you know, Wandale's debut too? you know, uh, six for 50, right? He, he was kind of the wide receiver in the offense. Um, and actually I saw a chart saying that, you know, New York actually funnels a lot of targets to wide receivers and I'm still baffled on where those are going. I mean, relative, relative to the other positions, including Saquon and, and Bellinger who seem to play big roles. Uh, the, the wide receivers play, you know, play a pretty focal point in the passing offense. I just don't know who they're like, what names those are going to. I, Richie James had a bunch in the middle, in the early year and everything, but now it's Wandell's turn. Um, you know, I think something like a 28% target share, like, finally healthy he's finally getting the snaps you know he was kind of on a limited snap count you know kudos to you paul like you you put it out there you said this might be the weekend that he hits 80 percent. he might he might do that right away that's exactly what we saw so i don't know if you've got any further insights on wandale but yeah i mean he 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 did he did get a a little nicked up somewhere late in the first half he wasn't as uh, a part of the offense in terms of like the focal point. I don't know if it was just the way the game played out. They really got the ground game going in the second half. Saquon almost rushed for 100 yards in the second half. The Jones rushed for like 80 or 90 yards, I think, in the second half. So it could have just been a product of that. But you saw from the first drive, it was like the first two drives, he was like targeted like six times. Like he was the focal point. And if Kadarius Tony continues to be MIA, uh, you could see the plan of why they wanted Wandell, why they targeted him in round two, and they moved back twice because they, he was their guy. I, I'll, I'll go to my grave thinking he was the guy. They, they, had, they had targeted him for months leading up to the draft that he was going to be their round two pick. And it was just about figuring out when they were going to be able to get him and what they could do. And that's why I think they had these trades. You know, if you listen to everything that's out there, they had these trades lined up from during the day. So I don't think they really, it really mattered who had a board foul to start the second round. It was just what could they do comfortably and feel like they definitely would get him because I feel like Kafka and Dave will have a clear plan for him. Uh, he's going to be heavily involved. They haven't really 
I think they've been trying to integrate him as a receiver. So we haven't even seen a lot of like the jet sweep stuff. And I think you'll see some wildcat stuff with like Saquon and him back there. And I think they'll, they'll be more added in, in terms of like manufactured touches, but he's already showing that, you know, the way they scheme things up and the way they get free releases sometimes off the line of scrimmage in terms of like the motions and stuff, one, that was going to be a big part of it. Like, I could totally see him being a 90 to 100 catch guy. Now, again, I don't know if it's going to materialize to really huge fantasy numbers because I think he is who he is. But as, as a guy who who's going to bring tremendous value to the Giants, and I think he'll eventually could settle in as like a wide receiver at Paris in PPR leagues. Uh, you know, we saw what Hunter Renfro could do last year prior to Devontae Adams getting there. You know, we've seen at times Julian Edelman be a focal point in a different style way than true number one wide receivers. Same thing with Wes Welker. Like, I think they think he can be, I'm not saying live up to some of those guys that maybe I just mentioned, but I think they think he could be that type of role and make that kind of impact that I think he could be a very reliable player for fantasy that you know he's going to be involved in this offense. Uh so it was fun to see because I think his role and his usage is just going to continue to increase and you're going to start to see more wrinkles with his game as well. Uh, it is unfortunate. You mentioned his name, Bellinger. Uh, he suffered a really bad eye injury, needs surgery on like the bone around the eye. Uh, his vision is intact, but it sounds like he's out indefinitely. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's out the year, which is a real buzzkill because he was playing big snaps for the Giants. A, a big time red zone target. His blocking grades were unbelievable for a tight end, especially a rookie tight end. So a little, little disappointing that his season may have came to an end. Uh, and then Greg Dulcich is a guy that you're going to want to get him on your dynasty teams now. Like Albert Ogilvy, is not a thing. He's not even dressing anymore. Dulcich is the guy there, and he's a guy we knew he had past catching upside. Uh, I think Dulcich is going to become a mainstay, not only for the Broncos passing game, if they can get it on track, but I also think he's going to be a, a fantasy factor, you know, maybe not this year consistently, but I could see down the line next year, him taking a big year two or year three jump that I think now's the time to try to be aggressive, get him on your team now and, and try to hope that you have one of those guys who's going to make the jump to be one of those top six, top eight type tight ends uh, in the future. Jeff, any any further thoughts on Wandell or anything about Bellinger or Dulcich before we round it out the Dynasty Report tonight? No, I, I mean you, those are two good names at tight end that you know people should keep their eyes on. You know, you you always want to take dart throws there. Um, why don't we just keep it going on Giants Hour? And you know, we've got the Dynasty Stock Report, and the the first name highlighted that I see here is is Daniel Jones. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump right in there just to kind of piggyback. Like, he's playing his way into being the quarterback of the Giants next year. And I think for fantasy, it's kind of, again, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to sit here and say he, he's been nearly as productive or consistent as what Jalen Hurts was last year. But it was the same reason why there was this reservation last year about Jalen Hurts, right? We had a conversation on there that at times I was saying sell because it didn't look like the Eagles were all in on him, right? That I was nervous. And then quickly we, we, revi- we revisited that this year and said, you know, if he's not with the Eagles, he's going to be somewhere. Jones is starting to show that I think if he's with New York and they buy in, they're going to get weapons around him in terms of pass catchers. It's just in, in you know, Joe Shane's background. They brought Stefan Diggs to Buffalo. Dable's going to want that guy there. That 
you combine the running capability, Jones is playing the best football of his life, even though maybe the passing stats haven't met that. But in terms of five fourth quarter comebacks, the scheme is great. Uh, the offensive line, you like to think you have bookend franchise tackles for, for, you know, for the next foreseeable future. So there's a lot of things pointing up that right now, Daniel Jones probably could still be had very cheaply. I think he could, if he's with the Giants next year, I think he could be a guy who's a very functional, you know, backup quarterback that's a high end backup quarterback in one quarterback leagues or a strong QB two in, you know, super flex because you combine the the running and if they upgrade the passing game, you know, there's a lot to work with there from, from the, the overall package there of his running and passing. So I think it might be an intriguing time to try to get Daniel Jones. If you need a second quarterback, whether it's super flex or just a backup, you know, and because if he's with New York, I, I really like the odds of him being a, a pretty intriguing quarterback next year. Once the Giants, you know, aren't playing a certain kind of way right now, protecting, you know, playing these closer games because they just don't have the the offensive weapons. Like there's times that he's making great throws and it's just it's drops. It's guys run the wrong routes, but but he's really played well. That if they can get, you know, if they could ever get there as Tony up to speed and playing and then they ever bring in one more guy to kind of pair with Tony and Wandell, you know, I think you really start to make an offense there. And then the Dable Kafka scheme and what they're getting out of Jones and what he offers in terms of his legs, you know, I mean, he's got to be up there right near the top of besides Lamar Jackson. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's second or third in the league in, in quarterback rushing yards, Maybe Hurts and Lamar have him beat, but I, I don't even know. Like, I mean, he's been games. He's went over a hundred. He's had ninety. He's at like eighty. So maybe it's only Lamar. I don't know if Hurts even. You know, I don't even know if Hurts has the rushing totals that that Daniel has. Uh, you know, so he adds that element as well. So I think it, it's contingent upon New York, but 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 I do think he's playing his way back in this, uh, and I don't envision a scenario unless he it really falters quickly and, and badly for the second half of the year, I don't see a scenario where he's not back on the Giants, whether it's the tag, whether it's a short-term deal or something. And, and I think he could have some fantasy, you know, staying power as a, as a solid good QB2 with some really intriguing high-end QB1 spiked weeks mixed in there as well. Yeah, I just looked it up for you guys. Daniel Jones is at uh, number two over Jalen Hurts, but he played an extra game. Um, okay. and, and then we'll see where Justin Fields ends up because he's, he's actually, you know, ran a ton himself too. I guess my, my question there is, is what's the vehicle? What's the mechanism, right? Cause they declined his fifth year option. So is this a franchise tag situation? You know, do, how is Jones going to feel about that? Right? Like if he just played his way into a second contract, you know, and then you tag him, like you make him prove it again, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll, he said, he, he takes that and says, cool, we, we're going to have something good going. Let's do it. Right. I, I don't know. Um, but that's, that's going to be a really difficult needle to thread for the giants if they want Jones back. Yeah. We've never seen it. A team yeah. has never denied of, of the fifth year for a quarterback. And then that player stayed on the team. It's never happened. Well, and then there's, you know, there's a whole myriad of questions of of what's available out there afterwards, too. I mean, is it like a, a Jimmy Garoppolo kind of thing? Do the Bears move on from Justin Fields? Like, I mean, we don't know what this landscape's really going to look like, but I, you know, it, I think we're, we can't see it right now, 
but but it's going to be pretty fascinating i think um when it when it all comes down to it and and i i think this is it's one of those off-season storylines that I, I don't think there's a lot of clarity to there's a lot of uncertainty there um you're right he he's playing he's playing the right football for the giants to win you know i don't he's clearly not carrying the team on his back right like that's that's not what he's doing and i don't know maybe maybe this is that situation right i, I mentioned it with you know Jaden daniels right so like you need a good environment for a quarterback to grow in right and and you need a you know more and more and more you know how the team sets them up for success for what they do well you know matters for how they progress in their careers and maybe that's just what we're seeing you know towards like hopefully not too late for daniel jones right maybe that's maybe that's what he he recognizes and sees and he takes a you know he takes a prove it franchise tag that's still good money and you know plays another good season as a starter and then he he could catapult that into you know a big contract if he if he does it two years in a row right and and so i don't know I, that's really fascinating um why don't we just jump right over to the i i added um you know these next two names because that you know this blew up right before we started recording but you know mac jones got benched in the first half uh, of this Monday night football game and Bailey Zappi came in and immediately the offense looked like the offense changed from inept and stagnant to efficient and scoring. And so did the complexion of that game. And while Mac Jones was out, the Patriots were looking fine with Zappi back there winning games that, you know, people thought maybe they couldn't win without Mac Jones and Mac Jones went from, best quarterback of the 2021 class to bench starter in a blink. Um, and I, I don't know what else is going on back there too. I mean, obviously Mac Jones wasn't playing well, you know, he, he threw a pretty bad pick there, but you know, there was other stuff too, right? There was this, there was all this kind of news when he got that ankle sprain too, where he wanted a second opinion. He thought he might need surgery. The team said, no, you don't. And then he didn't get it. And now he's rushing back, and I don't know if it's the ankle sprain affecting his performance, but I don't know. There's some drama in New England, um, and and it could really shake out in a pretty a pretty drastic, you know, quarterback paradigm shifting uh, shifting way that 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 really shakes the league up a little bit. Yeah, it's a fascinating storyline, you know. A first round pick who played well his rookie year, like you know, uh, uh, early day three pick this past year. Listen, I know Zappy played well the last two weeks. You know, listen, they they seem to be running really good the last two weeks. They they seem to open it up a little bit more. This is Mac. This was Mac's first game getting back in there. I think they probably pulled the plug a little too quickly. Like you know, to be honest with you, like it's not like Bailey Zappy has has lit the world on fire the rest of this game. I mean, the Patriots are getting smoked today, 33-14. You know, I I think Mac Jones will get a chance to 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 get his job back. I, I don't know exactly why there was such a quick 
quick trigger tonight in terms of, you know, he was only three for six for 13 yards. Like that's hard to really garner getting into a rhythm, no matter how slow the game started and no matter how much you you were struggling, it's still only three of six passes for 13 yards. Right. I know one of them was an interception, but that seemed like a really rash decision then that if, if, so unless they saw something, maybe he wasn't fully healthy yet. I I don't know. It'll be interesting to kind of, we're not going to get a lot from Belichick. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of guesswork there. So I think, I think it's going to be a wait and see kind of approach. I would, I would be stunned if Mac Jones doesn't get a chance to get his job back and, and, and lead that team after what was really deemed a really successful, you know, rookie year and, you know, not many weapons uh, to speak thereof, but we'll see. It's an interesting storyline that kind of, you know, popped up here right as we were set to record tonight. Uh, so we'll see. So let's take this over. There's three names I want to bring up. Two are, it's mostly the two trades, but I will say, you know, and we can just skip past them in a second. Josh Jacobs continues. We, we talked about Daniel Jones making it interesting that no one's ever, you know, got their 50 year option denied and then stayed as a quarterback. I'm not sure, if, you know, maybe it's happened, you know, at running back. I, I, I wouldn't know without looking it up, but. Vegas basically said what they thought of Josh Jacobs. The 50-year running back tag is not even that high of a number. And they said, nope, we don't want him. And then they were drafting Zamir White. They were, And all of a sudden now Josh Jacobs is playing like the guy I absolutely loved coming out of Alabama, the guy who I thought warranted going in the first round. They were using him in the passing game a little bit. He's it's crazy because people... Josh Jacobs is a perfect fit for for Josh McDaniels, right? Yeah, like, perfect. That, he's like perfect fit for that offense, and and to be able to be the everything, and he is. And if he had, you know, let's say let's say he, he inks an extension for you know three years for them. I mean, how would he not be a top ten to twelve dynasty running back right now? Yeah, I mean, listen. They, I was listening to, I think it was the CBS Sports guys, and they were saying the rest of this year, Josh Jacobs or Jonathan Taylor. And yeah, for me, it's totally. not even close. For me, it's not even close. Like, I would want Josh Jacobs. If I if I had in a redraft league Jonathan Taylor and somebody sent me an offer with Josh Jacobs or vice versa, I, I had Jonathan Taylor and I sent the trade offer, I would 100% accept that deal yeah. without even hesitation. Who do you want? Who do you want? Sam Ellinger? Like, no. <laughs> That's, yeah, we just like, heard that. We heard that Sam Ellinger is going to take over for the rest of the year. Like, that offense is that team is going to look, look, Ellinger could maybe, maybe there's something back there that, that, you know, that the coaches are really seeing that, you know, they, they want some spark and, and they see him giving that in practice. And more often than not though, like this is, this is not going to go well for, for Indy and and it wasn't going well anyways. So, you know, and then, you know, Jacobs is out here doing Jonathan Taylor level stuff. Like, you know, like you could, bank on Jonathan Taylor getting back to that level, or you could just get the guy who's playing that good. And he's young still. I mean, yeah. So he's got a a second contract. That's usually when you sell running backs in your dynasty leagues for timing wise, but Oh goodness. I I mean, I, I kind of scooped him up in a place or two just before the year because his, everybody was so down on him. He was cheap. And, and I, I didn't, you know, with, with the signals from the preseason, I didn't have high expectations that he'd be, you know, sitting every week in my lineup, but I thought that he was a good enough player and he'd shown enough to this point that, you know, whatever he gave me this year was great and he's going to go somewhere 
and next year and he's gonna whenever he signs a new contract i thought i'd get a good couple years out of him because i thought he was a good enough player there and um goodness i don't know where he's gonna be playing next year maybe vegas but wherever he is like i i I don't know how you fall off from this um in it you know especially because it, it it's not just you know an opportunity it's not just opportunities like you know his talent is beginning opportunities right like he's he's still beating out Zamir White and Brandon Bolden, you know, for, you know, for roles in this offense, right? It's, it's not like he's just been given it. Like he's, he's earned it, but why don't we, yeah. why don't we transition to, to guys kind of being given some roles here, right? So, all right, you mentioned two trades. We'll, we'll do C, CMC to the 49ers um, to close. Cause that'll just, we'll get my, get my brain churning on that one. It's really, but James Robinson is, was, was traded, you know, an, hours ago um, to, the New York Jets after they lost Brees Hall, you know, they're, they're a running back away. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that pretty much just seeds we, we saw over the last week or two, two weeks. Um, ETN was sort of the focal point of Jacksonville's running game. And, you know, honestly, I think there's a lot that James Robinson did well that ETN didn't, but this pretty much clears up ETN for taking on, a workhorse role like his, his his running backs now are snoop connor and uh, jamichael hasty you know who, who will come in for a few carries but it's the etn show yeah etn i'll jump in etn's gonna be the etn's gonna see a workload comparable to alvin kamara with the saints there's gonna be somebody else involved a little bit for sure it'll probably be snoop connor who they drafted in the fifth round, I think this past year, because they didn't know if James Robinson would be back. So I think someone else will emerge, but they clearly, they clearly saw an opportunity to get something back for James Robinson. You know, listen, he started out the year really hot, came back from the injury, you know, but they, they wanted to open, they wanted to open the playing time for Ethan. and they've been going that way. He's an explosive playmaker and I think this speaks volumes in terms of what they thought of James Robinson. If you think James Robinson is a starting running back in the NFL, you don't give him away for a sixth round pick that could maybe become a fifth round pick. There could have been a world where Travis Etienne and James Robinson played together for a couple years. So, like, I, I I'm surprised by this move to be honest with you. Even if they wanted to kind of pivot to Travis Etienne as being sixty percent. I don't know why it's going to be like Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram earlier in Alvin Kamara's career. Like that's kind of what I thought it could be. And, it, you know, and, and even as Ethan was taking, you know, a lot of the reps over the last couple of weeks, I kind of still envision this scenario being like that. Uh, I don't understand why Jacksonville did it. And I kind of also don't understand why the Jets did it, to be frankly honest with you, because I know they have plenty of picks and, and it is what it is. And, but Michael Carter is also a very good functional back that could have easily carried the workload for this year. Now James Robinson's going to go there, and now you're going to have a split backfield with James Robinson and Michael Carter with Breach Hall coming back next year. So I, I kind of don't understand it from both perspectives, to be frankly honest with you. I think the Jets could have been okay without, without James Robinson, but at least I get it. They have a winning record. I don't really know why the, the Jags felt the need to get rid of him for a sixth-round pick that could be a best of five. Unless they just they're unless they don't think that to me they this says they think he's basically a jag that they could well, just put in Snoop Connor which when James pick. Robinson's got an opportunity 
he's been a functional to good starting a good running back, yeah. which makes it surprised that they just kind of gave him away for six. It's most likely going to become a fifth because he only needs like 260 yards or something the rest of the year. Because I think if he gets a 600 total, I saw as the condition, it becomes a fifth. I guess it's just surprising that they value that fifth round pick or could be sixth. But they valued that over having him for another, you know, is he a free agent after the year? Like, are we there already? Uh, like, yeah, well, he's got um, the restricted free uh, free agent tag. So they, they kind of have control over him. Um, so he, they had control, you know, for an, at least another. I, I can't think the RFA tag gets you another year or something like that. But so, you know, they have the ability to do some tenders there. You know, I think, you know, maybe Jacksonville's looking at like, hey, we've got enough running backs. You know, a fifth round pick, if you hit, is a contributor for your team. Wrote, um, you know, that's kind of what James Robinson ended up being. Um, you know, and and for the Jets too, like they need that contributor now, right? Like you, you can't just sit with only Michael Carter on your depth chart. I I can't even. I don't. You know, they had Tevin Coleman on the practice squad, but now it's you know, is it what is it, uh, Ty Chandler or? I, they needed somebody, right? Um, and so I, you know, and I think James Robinson's a, still a good player. I, the thing that I'm going to be looking for, right, is I, I'm going to be looking. First of all, I think Michael Carter is going to be the the guy who who takes the majority here. I think Robinson will sprinkle in. He'll give him some reliable, right? Like James Robinson is a reliable running back. He will get you what you need. He'll keep your offense on schedule. Like, but but Michael Carter is going to. You know he's a good player in his own right, and he and he's going to be the the one who's going to kind of shine in in the absence of Brees Hall. But I'm looking down at Jacksonville, and, and I said it, ETN's going to get everything. And I said it, I said it as well. Like, I think James Robinson did some things well that Travis Etienne doesn't do well, as you know, as a runner. Right? Etienne's great in space. He's dynamic. He's fast. He makes big plays, especially if it's blocked well for him. But I'm going to. We're going to see just how well ETN can operate as an NFL running back, you know, and, and we've seen these guys somewhat falter, right? Like the, the Miles Sanders kind of thing, right? Where, you know, you, you just keep seeing Boston Scott roll in or, uh, you know, like the Jordan Howard's kind of stuff Like you just, you can't like pull away. And, and so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see if ETN has the ability, um, you know, to take his exceptional athleticism talent, like I said, you know, to start off the the set the show, we have uh, extremely talented athletes who don't necessarily learn the nuances and refined patterns for of run, that running backs need to learn um, to become superstars. And we're going to see has, has ETN developed that or not? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to kind of to kind of follow it, and you know his. I think his I haven't updated my ranks obviously since that, but Travis Ethan gets a huge bump up now, right? Like he he had the early or you know, he had the round one draft capital, right? We almost forget that they took him in round one after the Giants took there is Tony that apparently who Urban Meyer wanted. But they, they they he has the round one draft capital. Now he's healthy. You know, they have obviously believed that he could carry a heavy workload that, you know, with some guys kind of faltering this year, you know. Travis Ethan is going to be really high on, on people's dynasty rankings. Now that James Robinson's out of town there, we'll see if he can live up to the hype. So let's close it out with the C-Mac trade. Christian McCaffrey late last Thursday night, Adam Schefter drops the bomb that he's traded to 
your 49ers for a second, third, fourth round pick, and a fifth, right? Two, three, four this year, and a future five. It's a staggering price when you see collectively, you know, based on, you know, what we always hear running backs go for, you know, when people are traded, it's usually, you know, even when when there was rumors of Saquon being shopped in the offseason, it was like, well, if the Giants can get a day two pick, meaning one day two pick, they would probably take it, but no one's even offering that. So Carolina sends them out. I think part of it is teams were willing to pony up for two reasons is my guess. And then I'd love to hear your take, you know, generally, and then with the 49ers. And I think the fact that he's been paid the signing bonus, it's gone. $12 million a year is not a lot when, when, when slot receivers basically are making 10 to $12 million. If you're not even, if you're just a good slot receiver, not even a great slot receiver, you know, and other, so many other receivers are making 16, $17 million. Like Christian McCaffrey needs to be looked at as an offensive weapon, not a traditional running back. You know, Chase Edmonds just signed the two year, $12 million deal. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he was counting for 6 million and Christian McCaffrey is only going to be double that. It's like a no brainer in, in that regards. So the fact that Carolina was already on the hook for the big cap numbers because of the big signing bonus that that already hit their cap, I think made him more desirable. I think the fact that he isn't just a running back, he's a he's an offensive weapon, who's a great receiver, I, I think is where they are there's more willing to give up more value in picks because of, of that dual capability. He's not just a running back. So they're probably looking at it as they think the NFC is wide open this year. They think another weapon could maybe be the difference here. I, I don't know if it that is or is not. I'll still say I was a little surprised by the total. I'm surprised it didn't just cost like a second and a four, to be honest with you, that it was a two, three, four, and five. But he is arguably still in the running for best running back in football all around well, let, running back. Yeah, let me jump in here. I mean, first of all, they – were outbidding the Rams too, right? And and they certainly didn't want to see CMC on the other side of the field in their division, right? Um, they had just done that, right? They just played against them. You know, the Rams did too, and that's that's why they were both in a bidding war. And so, yeah, you know, you're you're bidding against your division rivals. You're paying a little bit more. Um, you know, it was a perfect scenario for Carolina to get them in a bidding war like that. I mean, that's, that's reason one, right? You know, reason two, I think you're right. Like $12 million is, I mean, that's a big number for a running back, but that's not that big for the best running back in football. I, my biggest question would be, you know, will Christian McCaffrey be the best running back in football in San Francisco? Because I think they see him not as an offensive weapon. They see him as a running back. And, and that's a, it's a position that they've really needed to solidify. I mean, even as good as Elijah Mitchell has been at times, right. Or Jeff Wilson has done as, you know, in fill and spot duty, like they have, that has been a carousel for them. They have not locked that position down. You know, Debo has been the guy who's played that position best for them. And, you know, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan's probably had enough and, and we saw a little bit of that usage. You know, I don't know if it was just a limited package, um, that they were able to install, you know, between Thursday and, and Sunday. But we didn't see in a trailing game script, you know, a lot of passes dumped off to Christian McCaffrey. 
he, we saw, I think he saw like two catches. Um, that's my biggest worry with him in San Francisco is that Shanahan won't know what to really do with him. I, I mean, we've seen that before. We've also seen him be phenomenally creative with his personnel, especially when they're multiple, you know, multiple personnel, like mul- players that can do multiple things really well, like Debo Samuel, like Christian McCaffrey on the field together, you know, Kittle, who could be either a blocker or a receiver. Kyle used check back there too. Like that's just not fair. <laughs> it is not fair for opposing defenses to cover what potentially could come out of that. That being said, you know, we're going to have to see a new Kyle Shanahan offense. Like, like he's going to have to change and adapt around the talents of his players. And I don't know if he's really good at that. He's really good at the schemes that he creates up. I don't know if he's really good at modifying it. I think it's really been up to the players, you know, to adapt, to fit into his system. Well, so I, I don't know. I, I it's going to be interesting to play out. I, I mean, I'm really excited as a 49ers fan, like Christian McCaffrey is a phenomenal player. I, you know, I was able to, you know, get him picked up for fantasy this year in a few places after not being able to, you know, draft him because he would always go, you know, first and I never had the first pick, but, you know, so I'm, I'm super excited, you know, to see how this plays out. I'm a little bit scared though. I'm a little yeah. bit scared. And I, and I think, I think you have the right to be And for Carolina. It was a no brainer move. They're years away from being good and, Let's not kid ourselves. A, a second round pick is a steep price in football. Like we see good players get traded for a second round pick. We see functional players get traded for a third round pick. We see f- solid veterans get traded for a fourth round pick. It's all of that. And then an additional five. I mean, the Niners are basically are out on this draft, right? They don't have their first for the Trevor, the Trey Lance trade still. And now they don't have their two, three, and four. So, you know, they're they've, not, the they're not is- picking. They've they've drafted well. They're getting contri- contributions and good contributions, you know, from these last couple classes. You know, especially on the defensive side, they've got some defensive backs that are really stepping in. Um, Hufanga was a guy I think they I can't remember day three guy that they picked yep. up. I really like that pick when we did our recap. You know, he's playing at an elite level actually back there. Like they've drafted well. They have some young cost control players, so they can afford to do something like this because you're not you're not necessarily going to fit you know, another five draft picks on your, on your roster, right? Like, you know, it's just going to be some tough cuts. I, I understand why they did it. And I understand. I understand why they did it. I, I just also I don't think- know if, the, I don't know if it's the right move. Cause I, do, I, I don't know that I, I, I've seen a lot and there's still a lot of believers out there in the 49ers outside of San Francisco. You know, you've got the sports betting people, you've got, you know, the film grinder people, you've got the, you know, EPA kind of analytics people. And, you know, there, a lot of people are saying that, you know, the Niners might have, you know, might be the second best team in the NFC, certainly like a top five team in the NFC, especially with the way that we've seen Green Bay and Tampa Bay fall off. You know, that being said, they're, they're not at that record right now. Um, you know, they lost to Atlanta. Like it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's the right move. I let me just harken it back to baseball for a second. You know, I was here with the, you know, the, the San Francisco giants winning those world series and, and the years between when they didn't and the years, you know, that they did. And the one thing I always appreciated is that ownership was willing to put their money out there 
and and field a competitive team and go for it if they were in position to go for it. They might not even be leading, you know, their division. They might not even be, you know, like a top, you know, five record in baseball. Same thing with the 49ers. But they're, the ownership was willing to say, look, you know, we have an opportunity here. Let's, you know, like, let's not mess around. Let, you know, let's, let's try to take it. And I always appreciate that as a fan. Yeah. Listen, I think it's a, I applaud the aggressiveness because I do think the NFC is up for grabs. I do think they have a very skilled, you know, uh, coach who schemes things up and we'll see how he fits these puzzle pieces together and we'll see if he adapts, right, and utilizes, you know, the passing, the pass catching ability of Christian McCaffrey, I, who I do think is a very smart back, and he could probably run that outside zone very well. And he's he's going to put up some monster weeks. He's he's going to put up some monster weeks. And you know, listen, they're probably looking at still Trey Lance being the guy there, and they're probably looking at it as he's still got a couple cheap years left so they can take a shot, right? They could spend some money and they could put the money on in Christian McCaffrey and, and Debo. I do think, you know, and, and then even Ayuk he's got a couple years left before, you know, he comes up like, you know, and if he's a guy they really want back by then McCaffrey will be like in his last, you know, year or whatever. So, so they'll cross that bridge when, when they get there and, and they're, they're surrounding. Listen, when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, which is still what Trey Lance will be, they're going to surround it with offensive weapons, right? And, and playmakers and, and they saw the value here and they think they can still have the defense that is needed and the offensive line and they could survive without these picks. And they went all in and listen, they've seen the Rams do it right there, right? The Rams have traded away their picks left and right. The Rams were in the, in the bidding. So it was either let the Rams get them or you had to pay the price that, that it was going to take to get him. And they chose to pay the price because the Rams were going to do it, right? We and, know the Rams don't value picks. And the and, biggest and, thing is it's not just, you know, we're, we're talking about this in terms of a 2022 run. But, you know, you you alluded to the future. And, and we're talking about the way that they're building for 2023 and potentially even 2024. And I think the Rams and, and other teams in the bidding war saw it within the same way. Or at least I think Denver was the other one I heard and they kind of had a lowball offer. Maybe they only thought about it for 2022. But, you know, the Rams would be doing this in the same way that, you know, CMC was going to go to, you know, the Rams if, if that's where the, the trade went. And, and he was going to be back there for three years, right? Like that would have been... I mean, if that would have gotten my my juices flowing from a fantasy perspective, because we've seen, you know, McVay use a guy like Todd Gurley and and just, you know, you know, that's been dominant, unstoppable. So um, that's what I would have expected from CMC in L.A. I don't know what to expect from, you know, McCaffrey in in San Francisco, but but it's going to be fascinating when when that offense comes in with Trey Lance. But but again, that's it. They're surrounding. You know, this is still a bill about not as much of it's, it's about what's, what's the 2022 season for them and where they're going to take it. But it's, it's really, it's about the 2023 season as well. And, and I think, you know, we saw them loyal to Jarek McKinnon for a while, you know, even, you know, through his injury, they still try to bring him back, you know, with years on his contract. I I don't think just because he's getting paid a lot of money, they're going to just, you know, try to cut bait at the end of the year or at the end of next year, I think they're, they're going to try to ride this contract out, I think. And, and so we'll see, I think we'll see, you know, McCaffrey 
as a 49er for at least a couple years here. Yeah, I I think unless like injury strikes, I think I know I know McCaffrey's had injuries in his past, but I also think he's the type of running back that will have a role in terms of like aging gracefully, right? He's an elite receiver. Like th- that skill set won't go away as being in a, so like and I'm not saying he's just going to be a pass catching running back cuz that's obviously not what you're going to pay 12 million dollars for. But, like, he also is not a guy who, like, is all of a sudden just not going to have, like, his athleticism, like, a bigger guy sometimes, right? All of a sudden, who's been wearing tear, it's just gone. And I don't think that's going to be the case for Christian McCaffrey. I think they look at this as he's still a relatively young guy. Like, I think they look at this as a three-year move. Like, I think they look at this as all of this year, the rest of this year, at minimum two more years. And then we'll see about that final year, right? Because I think it's three years after this, they have him on the hook for about 12 million a year. And and the salary cap's about to explode in a year or two due to like the new, you know. Uh, They've got to sign Bosa, up. yeah. Yeah, so we we'll might stay. finally get a back-to-back year of a of a leading rusher, right? It's been a new name every year. And I think we can pretty <laughs> much pencil in Christian McCaffrey this year. And um Goodness, I hope that he he's back that he's that name back on the board in 2023 as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. It's fun that we're seeing some trades. We'll see if we we'll see if we have any others before the trade deadline. I think that's a Brandon way Cooks to away. Green Bay. That's that's what I'm rooting for. Brandon Cooks to Green Bay. They well, need that. Green Bay needs some weapons. So so they that 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 is for that is for sure. So we'll be following it closely, guys. If you're enjoying the work that Jeff and I are putting out here on the podcast, please get over to the website SS Football. Fastest, quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab, and really helps us out. If you check out for nine ninety nine, you get access to all our premium content. You get the scouting notebook, you get the rankings notebook, and then in April you get the draft projections notebook. Any questions, reach out to Jeff and I. Make sure you're following us on the YouTube channel SS Football and following Jeff and I as well. So, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.